If you would take your Bibles and turn to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. I'm thankful to Joel and Paul for preaching for the past four weeks. It was a blessing to my family, uh, to me personally, to have some time to adjust to now life with, with four. And um, so I want to thank them. And not only was I blessed, but I know our church was um, by the messages that they brought. So in the past four weeks, I read Psalm 46 just as part of my uh, daily reading and was so struck by it that I, I wanted to share it with you all. I, I saw it and said, I need to memorize this this psalm. And as I was doing it, I said, I, I need to preach this psalm. And so uh, this seems like a good time to do it. And so we will look at Psalm 46 this morning just as a kind of standalone message. So you know that we're he- where we're heading next week. My, my hope is, uh, Lord willing, to begin walking through the life of Abraham, starting in Genesis chapter 12, and to think through that narrative of Abraham's life and how um, what God would have us to learn from him. But this morning, I wanted to be in the Psalms. I have a love for the Psalms. I think that Psalms, at least in this point in my life, is probably my favorite book of the Bible. And so um, last summer, we went through the Psalms of Ascent, and I had to come back to the Psalms one more time. So we're in Psalm 46. And we'll be uh, thinking on these words this morning. <clears throat> uh, if the if the tornado the tornado sirens go off at our house, then we go to the girls' room. Uh, it's interior room. There are no windows, and there are three mattresses. Um, if we need to use those, uh, if a storm came and we were here Sunday morning, we would surely see it because of all the windows, um, and we would get out of this room because of all the windows. We would go into that hallway. The hallway is surrounded by a cinder block. And actually, we'd probably go into the bathrooms because that's all poured concrete. This is a strong building. If a storm came, we, uh, Lord willing, we would be safe. That's where we would head. Uh, if storms come in your area, the tornado sirens go off, you probably have a place that you know you're going to go. Uh, maybe it's the basement or, like us, it's an interior room because we don't have a basement. But you go to these places because they offer the strongest and the, the safest and the most secure refuge from the storm that is coming. It's the best place to go. And as rain and, and storms are inevitable in nature, so too, as um, I found out these words were written by Henry, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, words we know, but I, I don't know if we knew they were by him. He says, into each life some rain must fall. He goes on, some days must be dark and dreary. So not only does rain come into our lives literally, but storms and rain and trouble and trials come in. Storms and enemies and persecution and sickness and even death come into our lives. This is the fate of us all. It's been over a year since Andrew and I have moved back, and I, I think that at this point I could look around this room and, and see every individual and say, I know either in the past or in the present some trial, some circumstance that you have walked through or are walking through, some storm, some rain, some difficulty, some persecution. This, this happens to us all. I can look in my own life and see the things that cause me uh, fear, that cause me anxiety, that cause me stress. I know those things exist in my life. And I know, too, not only are they in our past and in our present, but they're coming. They are in the future. Rain will come. Difficulties will come. 
the reality of trials and rain and, and trouble makes it necessary to ask the question, where should we go? Where is the safest, most secure place that we can find in the midst of trouble, in the midst of disaster? It's best to know where you're going to go to have that issue settled before the storm comes. I mean, we all know when I talk about the tornado sirens, you all know where you're going. You all know the place in your house you're going to go. But what about when something comes into your life? Do you have it settled in your mind? This is where I go when trouble and trials come into my life. When enemies attack, where do I go? What's the safest place? Now, you all know what I'm going to say because I'm standing behind a pulpit and I have a Bible, right? But there are other people who are telling you to go elsewhere when these things arise. And there are things within us that are telling us to go to other places of safety, to, do, to go to, to other refuges, we might say. We might find refuge just in, in entertainment. That, that, that's a place where we just go to escape. Some find freedom from fear or from anxiety in, in drugs or in alcohol. When you're stressed, maybe you just automatically, you turn on your computer. You surf the web because it gets your mind off what you're thinking about. Or you watch a movie because it's just a nice release for you. You read a good book. Take your mind off whatever uh, is causing you problems. Maybe you blow off steam through some exercise or you blow off steam by calling up a friend and gossiping about the person who is causing you anxiety. Food is a place where a lot of people go. I mean, we have a whole category in America called comfort food. I mean, people go to food for comfort. They go to it as a refuge. And all of these things are places that we often will, we just, as a reaction, will go to as a refuge, as a place to find solace, as a place to find peace in the midst of trials. Some of them are sinful and wrong. Some of them may help, but they're not the best place to go. As we look at Psalm 46 this morning, we see, as you know what I'm going to say, that the shelter we should run to is God himself. And the psalmist is clear that we should run to God, and I think this is the main point of this psalm, that we should run to God because the presence of our all-powerful and loving God throws fear and anxiety out the window. The presence of our all-powerful and loving God throws fear and anxiety out the window. Let's read this psalm together one more time. We read it as our call to worship, but let these words sink in this morning. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
The presence of our all-powerful and loving God throws fear and anxiety out the window. The cord that I see running through this psalm is the, the wonderful truth that God is with those who are his. You see this in, in verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. It's repeated. Verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. This is the refrain, the chorus of this psalm, that God is with us. He is nearby. He is present. He is close to us. As a parent, I can remember when it kind of sunk in my head that that for my kids, when they were in a, a situation where they were scared or where they were anxious or where they just didn't know what to do, that, that what they wanted was for me to be close to them, to be near to them. And that, and that calmed them down. It, it allowed their fear to flee. What an even more wonderful truth it is to know that our Heavenly Father is with us. The writer of this psalm describes various ways that God is with us, and that's where we're going to spend most of our time thinking about how is God with us. One of my favorite quotes is from A.W. Tozer that he wrote in the book, The Knowledge of the Holy. I probably have shared it with you all before, but he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And so as trials come, as enemies come, and we, and we think about where we're going to go, where are we going to take refuge, it's important to know and to understand what we think about who God is. Because who we see God is, who we see God as in that circumstance will determine whether or not we're going to go to him as a refuge or whether we're going to go to one of these many other places to find refuge. So who is God? As we think about this, I want to actually give you a few simple pictures that are then kind of going to build into a larger picture. Now, some of you might just want to draw these pictures in your head. But I know Elaine, um, I don't know if anyone else, if you like to draw pictures, I'm going to give you a picture to draw with every point. Now, adults, feel free. If you like to draw pictures, if it's not just in your head, you can put them right there in the notes. But it may help us to just think about who God is. So with each point, I'll give you a little picture to draw. And it's just going to kind of build as we move along. So as we, we're thinking about how is God with us. First of all, God is with us as our refuge. God is with us as our refuge. Refuge is not a word that we use too often, is it? Uh, it's similar to, say, a shelter. It has this idea of, of protection. It can allude maybe to a ship in a, in a harbor that uh, when the storms come, it's in a, in a safe place. Um, if you're drawing the picture or in on paper or in your head, then you might just draw a house, a house with a roof, just a simple structure that is a shelter. A shelter protects. It protects us from wind and from rain and from hail and from snow. This week as the storms blew through, we were in houses or in workplaces, and there was shelter that, that protected us. And the psalmist here in verse 1 says, God is our refuge. He is with us as our refuge. He is our shelter. He is our, our place to run into in the midst of the storm. We've all experienced that, haven't you, where you've been outside at a park or, or somewhere and it starts to rain, it starts to storm, and you're out exposed to the elements and you got to find somewhere to go. And so does everyone else that's with you. And so you all cram into some small space where we're where seeking refuge from the storm. And God here is said to be our refuge. He is the one that we run to, the one that we run into in the midst of trials and tribulations, and he protects us. He is our refuge. He is our, our shelter. 
When I say the word shelter, maybe you think about something sort of flimsy, maybe like a picnic shelter that if, if a real strong storm came through, it just blow it over, or even something like maybe a lean-to, you know, twigs and branches. It's just this tiny shelter. And if that's what you think about when you think about God being our refuge and our shelter, then I would say God is also with us, secondly, not just as our refuge, but as our strength. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. He's not a shelter that's going to fall over. He's not a house that's that's built on sand. He is a strong refuge. As the psalmist says elsewhere, he is a strong tower that the righteous run into. So in your picture, again, whether it's mental or on paper, make those walls on your house thick. I mean, these are strong walls. The, the, the fortress is not falling over. And then underneath that house, put, put a solid foundation, some concrete. Make it as thick as you want because this structure is strong. God is the strength of the structure. God is strong. He is said to be our strength. When we are weak, when all that comes against us in life tries to bend us and to break us, God is strong. He is our strength. When I was thinking about this, I, I was reminded of, of Nana Lulu. So often when I talk to Nana Lulu, she says, if I say, Nana, you look good, she says, God is, God is my strength. God keeps me strong. That's true for us. How comforting to know that we don't need to be strong in and of ourselves but that God is our strength. That when we feel weak, when we feel like we can't handle anything else that we are going to bend and maybe even break, we can turn to God, who is the source of all strength and the one who never grows tired. God is with us. He's with us as our refuge, our shelter. He's with us as our strength. He is with us, third, as our ever-present help. As our ever-present help, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is the structure over us. He is the strength that we're given to stand, but he is also not far away. He is, he is present. He is close by. So in your picture, if you've got the house there, you're going to just put a triangle in the middle of the house. That's going to represent God as being with us, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is in our midst. He's not, he's not far away when trouble comes. He doesn't have to travel to get to us. Not only is he near, but, but he is able. He is able to help. For those of you like, like me, we have friends and, and family that live far away. And one of the hardest things about having friends and family that live hard, far away is that when those that we love face difficulty, we, we want to help them. We want to be there in some way. We can call and we can send a card, but sometimes you just want to be there to help. It's so frustrating to say, I just I can't get to those that I love. God never faces this problem. He is ever-present. He is with us. He is ready and willing and able to help us. I'm reminded of Jesus. Remember, he tells the disciples that he's going to leave, which obviously worries them. But he says, no, it's actually good that I leave. Because if I leave, then I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will come and live with you. He will always be with you. I, I, I leave at times, and, and I'm not always present with you, but the Holy Spirit will be present with each of you in the exact same way. He will be with you as your comforter, as your help. So if you are a child of God through faith in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit is within you. God is your ever-present help and comforter. 
God is with us as our refuge, as our strength, as our ever-present help. Now, I want to pause here. We've got three more to think about, about how God is with us. But I want to stop and just say that to say that God is our refuge, to say that God is our strength, to say that God is our help, is to admit that we need help. It's, it's to say to God, Father, I can't handle this on my own. I need your help. I, if you don't protect me, if, you don't, if you're not the shelter over me, if you're not my strength, then I, I will be crushed. I need help. So there's this humility in seeing God as these things and in seeking him as them. There's this confession of need, and not just need, but of, of helplessness. But the reality is that if we see our great need, then we will see how great our Savior is. If we recognize how much we really, truly need Him, then we will know that that He can meet every need that we have. So as we call to Him, as we turn to Him, not only is is He these things to us, but then He is lifted up and He is He is glorified because we come to Him in humility and we say, God, I need help, and He says, I will help you. And who is glorified in that? God alone is seen as lifted up as our strength and as as our help. He is seen as all-powerful and loving. So the encouragement then from that thought is, is that we should run constantly to God and admit our need. We have to be humble. We have to acknowledge that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. To cast off any pride that says, I can, I can stand up underneath this on my own. Cast off pride that would say, I can handle all these trials by myself. You know, I'd forgotten how dependent babies are until we had Jude again. And they need you all the time. I feel like he needs us to help him sleep. You know, you'd think that would be easy. But they just, they're helpless. Scripture is, always talks about how we need to be mature. We need to grow in maturity. But there's a sense in which we, we should always be like a little baby. Always be completely dependent on God. Always recognize that apart from Him, we can do nothing. Always recognize that unless He is with us, we have no strength, that our lives will completely fall apart. So God is with us. God is with us as our shelter, as our strength, as our ever-present help. And next, He is with us as our fortress. As our fortress. That's repeated twice. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11, same thing. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Psalm 46 was one of Martin Luther's favorite uh, psalms, the, the reformer. And it's the basis for his hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I read in one commentary that it was said in the difficult days of the Reformation, when, when the enemies against those that were trying to reform the church uh, seemed very strong that Luther would say to his friend Philip Melanchthon, who was another reformer, he would say, come Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. And they would sing, a mighty fortress is our God, and recognize that whoever came against them, it didn't matter because God was their fortress. So if you're still drawing your picture, you can add some big walls surrounding that structure, some some massive walls that surround this the shelter and, and the foundation and God is in the midst of them and there's these large walls that you could surround it with, walls that cannot be scaled, that cannot be crushed or knocked down. 
we've thought mainly in terms of just kind of it seems like uh, with thinking about rain, you think about things that just come into our lives, whether it's sickness or, or suffering of some kind. But the idea of a fortress makes me think about, about human evil, that there are those who would seek to harm us, that we have enemies, that there are those who would persecute us. How appropriate that we are looking at the psalm in light of what happened on Thursday night, early Friday morning, that you can walk into a movie theater and be face-to-face with evil. And there are those not only that we can think about that as this incident that happened here in our country. It feels very close. Yet there are those that face that on a daily basis in places like Syria and around the world, that there are constantly enemies against them, seeking their harm. Christians who are persecuted on a daily basis, their life is at risk. And in light of all of that evil, we can say that God is our fortress. But I think we have to ask the question, if God is our fortress, then what happened on Friday? If God is a fortress, and, and, and we could say there has to be with 70 people that were affected, let alone the 200 that were there, there have to be followers of Jesus that were there in that theater. I've read testimony of some that make clear profession of the gospel. They were there. Was God not a fortress to them? Was there a breach in the wall? Did he? Did something slip by? This is the question that we have to face, isn't it? I mean, it's the question that comes up whenever this kind of things happen. How can you say that your God is good and loving, and yet he allows these things to happen? It's, it's what people call the problem of evil. And it's something that we all have to wrestle with. It's this idea that we say as Christians that the Bible says God is good, God is loving, and God is sovereign. God is in control of everything. And people look at that and they say, well, here's the problem. If God is loving and he loves everyone and he's also in control, then then why do bad things happen? Either he's not all loving or he's not fully in control. He can't be both because evil exists in the world. That's the way that many pose the problem, whether they will say it in those terms or not. That's the core issue. So what do we say? Because evil exists in the world, does it not? I don't have a complete answer. I don't know that we can come to some really great conclusion about why evil exists in the world, but but I do hold both of these things to be true. I do say God is loving. God is good. And God is sovereign. Those are true, and they're not in conflict. And I hold all of those things together in light of the sinfulness of humanity, which is also taught in Scripture, that sin exists in this world, that we have rebelled against God. So all those things are together. Can we connect every dot and and know why all evil happens? No. But we have to hold these things to be true, because it's what Scripture says. Now, this sermon isn't intended to be a complete talk about the problem of evil, but I hope that that part is clear. And if this is something that, in light of things that are going on, that, that is just really troubling to you and you're struggling to understand and to come to grips with it, I would encourage you to, to talk to Paul or to Joel or to myself because it is a problem. It's a problem. I call it the problem of evil. It's, it's something that we need to wrestle with. It's something that we need to be conversant with, that we need to be able to talk to people about. Because when these things happen, it is the question that comes up. So I would encourage you to talk, and and we can have a good discussion about these things. 
But I would say in light of this passage, we're saying God is our our refuge. God is our strength. God is uh, with us. God is our fortress. But we can also say and we also know that that doesn't eliminate bad things from happening to us in our lives, right? It's not like the fortress keeps out everything. What does it say here in in verse 2? Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its point. He's saying these things exist. They, They happen. So God is all of this, but that doesn't mean that it keeps all evil away from us, that it keeps all trouble away from us. Rather, what he is saying is God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our fortress in the midst of these things. Yes, sometimes in God's graciousness, he keeps evil from from harming us. But many times, the evil comes. We are affected by sin. We are affected by trials and trouble and tribulation. And God holds us in the midst of us, in the midst of them and allows us to stand, gives us the strength that we need, is a fortress, and helps us to remain secure. Paul says, talking in 2 Corinthians 4-7, he says that, that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. In other words, that, that we exist as children of God, followers of Christ, believers in the gospel, in bodies of flesh that can be heard, in, in a world that, that their trials and tribulations come. So we have this treasure in earthen vessels to show the surpassing, that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. So our weakness magnifies God as our strength. And so Paul goes on and he says, we are afflicted in every way. Affliction comes. We are afflicted in every way. We are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. And that is all true because God is with us. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our very present help. He is the fortress that surrounds us. And so when trouble comes, we are able to stand up underneath it and know that we will not be destroyed by these things because God is with us. So don't hear me saying, follow Jesus and he will keep all pain from you. He'll be this fortress, you know, some sort of force field that you can go through life and everything just bounces off, you know. Um, that you're like a nonstick pan and everything just slides out. No problems for me as a Christian. We all know that that's not true. And it would be naive to say that that is true. But rather, God holds us up in the midst of these things. He will be our strength and he will love us in the midst of them. God is with us. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help. He is our fortress. God is also with us as the Lord of hosts. God is with us as the Lord of hosts. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. It could be translated the God of the armies. God is the commander of the armies. God fights for us. And the hosts of heaven are on our side. So we have this shelter. Remember your picture. You've got the shelter. And you've got the foundation. and You've got thick walls on that shelter. It's strong because God is our strength. And in the midst of that, God is there, this this triangle that says God is with us. He is an ever-present help. And we've surrounded that building now with with these walls. Now, outside those walls, if you, in your mind, just surround those walls with armies, with, with the host of heaven, with the armies that God is in control, and they are surrounding that wall. Just th- this massive army keeping anything 
and, and helping us to, to stand up when trouble comes. God watches over us. He is the Lord of hosts. Very quickly moving on to the next one. We could think about that longer, but for sake of time, I'll move on. God is with us as the Lord of hosts. God is also with us as the God of Jacob. Verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He is the God of Jacob. He is a covenant-keeping God. He makes promises, and he follows through with what he says. He keeps his word as he kept his word to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob. He says what he will do, and he does what he says he will do. Not, not only is he trustworthy, but this also is the idea that he has set his love upon us, that he cares for us as his children. Now, it may seem strange. You've got this picture of walls, fortresses, and armies. But according to this, what I, if I'm drawing the picture, I draw a big heart around it all. That maybe takes this, this strong picture and it makes you feel like it's kind of wussy now. But, but God is not just our strength. He's also our Father. He's not just the one who is able to protect us, but he is the one who desires to protect us who loves us as his children. God can be all of these things. He can be all-powerful, full of strength, and he is. But if he doesn't love us, then it doesn't mean anything for us. If he doesn't care for us, if he doesn't desire to protect us, then who cares how strong he is? Because he might be against us. But he is the God of Jacob. He's a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God who loves us. He cares for us. He cares for you. So the presence of our all-powerful and loving God throws fear and anxiety out the window. I think those are the two categories that I'd put this in. He is all-powerful and he is loving. He is both. And therefore he is this he is with us in this way. He is with us in strength and he is with us in love. I think I take verses um, 4 through 6 and then verses 8 and 9 as just illustrations of this. We could spend a lot of time on these, but we'll probably be just real brief with them. Um, verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning, when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth. So there's this picture of the city of God, of Jerusalem, of Zion. It's, and again, when we think about Zion, it's the dwelling place of God's people. And he says there's this river, and the streams flow into this city. Now what is, is the river? Uh, there are probably as many translations as there are people who write commentaries. But it would seem best to me to think of the river most simply probably as the presence of God. Again, that's that cord that's flowing through and more specifically probably the spirit of god is flowing into the city as the present because that is what's true for us isn't it that the spirit resides in us the spirit is with us and the spirit makes glad the city of god if you've got another interpretation let me know we'll wrestle through that but i think that's that's my best stab at it but there is this river that whose streams make glad the city of god the holy habitation, the place where God lives. God is in the midst of her. Therefore, she will not be moved. God will help her. 
the idea is that his presence protects his city. God's presence protects the city. The nations can rage and the kingdoms can totter. They can do whatever they want, but God can just speak and the earth melts. God is with this city. God is with his people. He is protecting. He is making the city glad. Nothing can come and harm the city. It's this picture of strength and of love again. And, and then verses 8 and 9. What a great call. Verse 8. Come, behold the works of the Lord. If, if you're full of fear, come. Let's just come think about what God has done and what he can do. He brings desolation on the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks bows, shatters spears, and burns chariots with fire. His presence destroys all enemies. If his presence is with us, there is no enemy that can stand against us because he is the one who brings desolation on the earth and ends wars, and smashes the bow and the spear and the chariots. So those are pictures of the strength and the love of God. But here's, let's come back and, and think real practically. So now when trials come and you think about who God is, remember what comes into your mind in that moment is going to determine whether you're going to go to him as your refuge or whether you're going to run somewhere else and seek refuge there. If you're unsure about his love, if, if you think that he is weak, if you think that he is not for you, if you think that he cannot protect you, he cannot hold you up, if you think that, then you will go to other refuges. And then you'll be filled with anxiety and stress and fear and doubt and dismay. But if, in the midst of trials, this is the picture that you have, that you see that God is with us, that he is with us as a shelter, as, as a refuge, that he is with us as our strength, that he is with us as this ever-present help, that he is with us as a fortress, that he is the God of the armies, and that, that he loves us. If you see God as that, then you will run to him. And the first thing that, the, that this text says is, we will not fear. We will not fear. If this is who God is for us, we will not fear. Watch the flow of thought. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, based on who God is, Therefore, we will not fear. There is nothing to fear if this is who our God is. God is the refuge, the strength, the help, the fortress. It does not eliminate troubles, though. Remember that, because look at verse 2. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So he says, God is our refuge in the midst of these things, and in the midst of these things, we will not fear. The psalmist picks kind of the worst possible situations, doesn't he? This kind of terrible cataclysmic event that shakes the foundations of the world. The earth gives way. The mountains are picked up and thrown into the middle of the sea, which probably causes the waters to roar and foam and shake the very foundations of the earth. It's as if the earth is splitting in half. And the psalmist says, if that were to happen, if everything completely fell apart, we wouldn't fear. There's nothing to be afraid of. Because God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our very present help. The all-powerful presence of God brings peace and rest to the worst possible situations. There's nothing that can destroy the child of God who knows that God is his refuge and strength and help and fortress. His strength and his love, they throw out all fear. So what is, for you, the earth completely falling apart? 
What's the worst possible thing that could happen? If God is these things for us, if God is with us in this way, there is nothing to fear. I think most people would say that the worst possible thing, if you took a poll, what's the worst possible thing that could happen to you? Well, I could die. That's what most people would say, right? For most people, that's the answer, that death is their number one fear. Actually, I, I listened to the comedian Jerry Seinfeld one time, and he said that actually if in polls, the number one fear is not death. That's number two. Number one is public speaking. So he makes the joke, he says that, so if you're at a funeral, people would rather be in the casket than standing up giving the eulogy, speaking in front of people. I don't think that's true. I think if <clears throat> if I took you into a, a funeral parlor and said, would you like to talk in front of these people or take your place in the casket, that most people would say, well, I'll talk for a little bit. So if the number one fear is death, if we if we fear death, what about for those of us, I, I think people fear it because they don't, they don't know what's going to happen, they don't know when it's going to happen. But what about those of us who have put our faith in Christ? Is there any fear of death? If Jesus is our strength and our fortress and our refuge, do we have to fear? If we put our faith in Christ alone, what is there to fear? For those who trust in Christ, we don't need to fear that our death is going to happen outside of God's plan because he is in control. We don't need to fear the judgment for our sin or the wrath of God against us because Jesus has, has taken our punishment on himself. We don't need to wonder, have I done enough good for God to accept me? Because Jesus has done everything that we need and we receive him by faith. We know that what is going to come again. We, we know what the next world holds because Jesus went there and returned back to tell us, I'm going to go back there and prepare a place for you. So if we are believers in Jesus, if we trust the message of the gospel, the work of Christ on our behalf, then we have no fear of the number one fear. We have no fear of death and judgment. Jesus is our refuge. He shelters us from the judgment that should be on us from our sin because Jesus takes that as our shelter. He is our strength because when we were without strength, when we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we were running far from him, trying to get away from his presence, and then in love he grabbed a hold of us and made our hearts turn in repentance. When we turned around, he was there. He was our very present help, ready to forgive. And when all of the forces of hell were against us, trying to keep us from turning to him, he came and he made a public display of Satan. Scripture says, nailing our sins to the cross. While we were in his enemies, he loved us. And if he's done this, if he's taken the greatest possible fear, if he's taken fear and eliminated us so that we can say, oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? There is no more sting in death because Jesus has dealt with sin fully and finally. If we know that, then we know he's going to be with us in all of the circumstances. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who spared not his own son, but delivered up him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Romans 8. If he's done that, then of course we can trust that he will be with us in everything else. So are you afraid? Do you walk through life with kind of a level of anxiety or fear about, about what could happen? You're just nervous about stuff have this nagging fear in your heart. Put your hope in God. See him for who he is. See him as with you in power and, and, and love. 
And when that happens, fear just flies out the window. If that is who God is, there's nothing left to fear. Not only will we not fear, but we will quietly rest. We will not fear and we will quietly rest. Verse 10, probably the most famous verse from this passage. Be still. As some translations put it, cease striving and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. When difficulties arise or enemies appear, it often has the effect of making us lose our minds a little bit. We just don't know what to do. We get anxious. We pace. We get angry easily. We are restless. But for those who know God, when these things come, when he is with us in strength and love, we do something very strange. We rest. We are quiet. We relax. Think about Paul. We're going to look at this next Sunday in Sunday school. Remember Paul on his way to Rome? The storm comes and the ship is in danger of of sinking. And everyone on the ship is losing their mind. I mean, they're throwing the cargo over the side, trying to find some way to survive. But Paul has inside knowledge because an angel has come, stood by him, and said no one's going to die. And so Paul has this confidence. And so as they're all losing their mind, he says, you know, guys, I think we should all settle down and have something to eat here because it's going to be okay. Because he knows that God is with him, that God will protect them. And so he has confidence. Paul quietly rested. He encourages the sailors to do the same. He knew that God was with him, that God would be with him. And so he rested. To be anxious, to put our confidence in ourselves rather than God, is just it's not to trust him, not to trust who he is, not to believe who he is, that he is strong, that he loves his people. You know, anxiety can also do something. I just think, looking at this verse, that second part, that's, that doesn't usually make it onto the coffee mug, right? Uh, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Anxiety might reveal a lack of different priorities. Why should we be still? Why should we rest and know that he is God? Because he will be exalted. So if our priority in life is the glory of God, if our desire is to see God lifted up, and glorified, then we can rest whatever comes, because that's what we want. That is our priority. Our priority is the glory of God. But if our priority is our comfort, our safety, and our security, and a pain-free life, then we will not rest. If we say, you know, God says, I will be glorified, well, some people, sometimes our response might be, that's, that's great, God, but I kind of want to be safe and secure and not have any issues in my life. If that's true, then we cannot rest quietly. Because that's not where what he's talking to. He says, you can be still and know that I'm a God. And the comfort then is, I'll be exalted. It's okay. I will be lifted up. I will be glorified. Now, if our priorities are straight, then we're like Paul. We say our life is of no value unless God gets glorified in it. That whether through life or death, if God is glorified, then I am satisfied. That... Um, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. If we have that mentality, if we say, God, I want you to be glorified, then whatever comes, we say, God, you do whatever you want. I know that you're going to keep me secure. I know that I will not falter, that, that I will not be destroyed completely, and I also know that you will be glorified. And that is the desire of my heart. I don't care whatever happens to me, God, if you are lifted up, even through my death, if you can be glorified, then I will rest quietly. Because that's what my heart desires. That's the desire of the psalmist here. 
Often his kindness does keep us from calamity, keeps us from trouble. We can rest in him. And he's glorified as we tell others of how God keeps us from things. But sometimes he keeps us in them. He holds us up in the midst of them. He sustains us. He holds us up when the world comes crashing down. And so then we can tell others, you know, everything went terrible in my life. But God held me up in the midst of it. He was my strength. He was my my refuge. And, And then he's glorified in that. He is seen as great even in that. So brothers and sisters, if if God is our strength, and if he loves us, if he is with us as a shelter, if he, if he is with us as our strength, if he is our very present help, if he is our fortress, if he's the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob who loves us, then fear and anxiety fly out the window. And if God is these things for us, if we see him as them, then it's not simply kind of a sitting back and wait, well, when trials come, I'll be okay. I know that, so I'll just kind of sit here. But it actually causes us to to pursue God in a way that it doesn't, it doesn't matter what trials come. I, I think that this is, it, why do people go into unreached lands where they know they might face persecution? Because they know that God is with them, that he is their refuge and strength, and their desire is for him to be glorified. And so they go with no fear and no anxiety because, well, I want God to be glorified and I know that he's with me and nothing will fully destroy me. Even if they kill me, I've already been saved from that. So I go with this confidence and with this joy and with this excitement because God is with me and nothing can harm me. And I think that we do that. We don't just go to the nations, but we go to our neighbors with, with no fear. Because God is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our ever-present help. He is our fortress. He is the Lord of armies. And he is the one who loves us. And if he is with us in that way, then we will not fear whatever comes into our lives or whatever he calls us to go into. And we will quietly rest knowing that if he is glorified, then that is the desire of our hearts and we will be completely satisfied. So where will you go? Where will you go when the trials come? If you see God for who he is, then you will run to him. I think the other question that we could say is, where will you go? Will you run into suffering for the sake of the glory of God? Will you say, God is all of these things for me. He will be with me, so I will go wherever he tells me to go. Let's pray together. God, your word is beautiful. Thank you that you are with us. You are our refuge, our strength, our present help in trouble, our fortress. To surround us with your armies and you surround us with your love. So, Lord, I pray that if there's, there are people here and they are filled with fear, that they would see who you are and that you would cause that fear to fly from their hearts. They're anxious in the midst of a trial that you would cause the fear to fly away and the anxiety to fly away. But you sustain us in the midst of whatever comes in this life. And so I pray that you would help us to receive trials with joy, knowing that you can be glorified, and Lord, that you would even allow us to run into the place where we know there may be suffering, but where we also know that you might be glorified. Give us hearts that see who you are and respond in that way. Thank you for the comfort you bring, Lord. 
I pray too if there are those who have not come to Jesus as their refuge, not come to Jesus to see forgiveness of sins through repentance and faith, that they would do that today. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.